While you remain standing, I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles with us today to the Gospel of John. We're going to John chapter 16. We're going to begin in a moment at verse 1. You may also want to take a moment and turn over to 2 Timothy. We're going to get there a little later, 2 Timothy chapter 1, but we're going to begin here at John 16. Today we are beginning a brand new series for the fall that we are simply entitling Finishing Strong, How to Be Prepared for the Days Ahead and to Overcome. I believe with all of my heart that God has given us in His Word things that are yet to come. And that we might be prepared and through the Word of God know how to overcome in these days. How many of you want to finish this journey strong? Can I hear a good amen? No weapon formed against us shall prosper, but we need to know how to overcome and to finish well for the glory of God. And that's what we're going to do this fall, just spend some time looking at that subject. This is what Jesus said. John chapter 16, verse number 1. These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God's service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. And our Father, I pray not only for this morning, but I pray, Lord, for this entire series that as we work our way through it this fall, that, Lord, you would speak to our hearts and that, Lord, you would prepare us for the days ahead, not only so that we might stand, but so that we may finish strong, that we may finish well, that we will be able to come to the end of our journey with no regrets, but, Lord, to shout the praises of the one who brought us through. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts. May we humble ourselves before you in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen and amen. One more time before you're seated, would you give God all the praise in this house? Amen. Amen. And then before you're seated, turn to your neighbor and tell him you love him in Jesus' name. I can't tell you the number of times through the years that I have personally taking great comfort in these verses that we just read. And I have applied them to many adversities that I have accounted, that I've encountered, excuse me, along the way. I remind myself as I read these words that Jesus never promised me, or anyone else for that matter, a life without offense, a life without occasions for stumbling. But He did tell all of us ahead of time there would be difficult days so that when they occur, not only would we find ourselves uh, not caught off guard, but we would be well prepared for those days knowing that they were coming. Now all of us can grip that, I believe, because our parents were always doing that while we were growing up. And if you are a student here this morning, undoubtedly your parents do the same thing to you. Our parents provide lessons for us, instructions and illustrations of things that, let's be perfectly honest, at the time seemed irrelevant to our lives but became vital later in our lives. And that is basically how Jesus is looking at this material as he is sharing it with his disciples. He's basically saying to them, I know what I'm sharing with you right now seems irrelevant. Because I know in your minds you think that I'm still going to stamp out Roman tyranny and I am going to establish the kingdom of God here in Jerusalem and I'm going to rule and reign over the earth. And even though that is going to happen, it's not going to happen for thousands of years yet. And 
and think it's going to happen right now. So as I'm telling you these things, you think it's totally irrelevant, but I'm telling you that in short order, you're going to see the relevance of everything I'm telling you right now. What I'm telling you is going to prepare you for the days that are ahead. Now please recognize the context of these words. Jesus is in the upper room. He is celebrating the Passover feast on the night that he would be betrayed with his disciples. So literally, these truly represent the final words that Jesus will speak to them before his arrest and subsequently his death upon the cross. Notice with me once again the first thing that Jesus says to them in verse number 1. These things, these things, those are important words because this is the first of four times that he will use them in these four verses emphasizing just how important they are to his discussion. And actually he begins to unpackage these things in chapter 15 where Jesus said to them, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. And so after speaking to them of a general hatred that all believers will experience in the world, Jesus becomes very specific with regards to what that hatred will actually bring about in the lives of these disciples, soon to be apostles, beginning there at chapter 16 and verse 2, when he says to them, they will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God a service. He said, what will start out as hatred will turn to excommunication from your synagogues and from your circle of friends and even your family. And eventually a time will come when those who kill you will think they're actually giving God service. He says, it's going to escalate and it's even going to end in your death, your martyrdom. And it is important for us to know that he says at the end... I had not told you these things while I was here, but now that I'm leaving, I feel compelled to tell you. What Jesus was saying is, I had no reason to tell you up until this point, because up to this point, I have been the target of the religious community. They've hated me. They've come against me. All of their violent attacks and their malicious words have been against me, but I'm leaving And when I leave, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to come and live and abide in each one of you. And then you are going to be targeted by them. Not because of you, but because I am dwelling in you by the Spirit. And you will be the subject of their violence. You will be the subject of their hatred. You will be the subject of their persecution. So now I am telling you these things. And again, he tells them that the reason that he is sharing this information with them now is so that when these things begin to take place, and as they see these things escalating, that they would not become an occasion for them to stumble and be offended and fall away from their faith in Jesus Christ, but they would stand fast knowing that this was coming, knowing that this will come to everyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ. Interestingly enough, the greatest of all the apostles, and of course that would be Paul the Apostle, was not there to hear this warning. Paul would not come to Christ for another three years, and yet three years later, and just 72 hours after his dramatic conversion experience on the road to Damascus, Paul, still blinded from his heavenly encounter with the risen Savior, was visited, as many of you know, by a man named Ananias who was sent by the Lord specifically to show Paul how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And many things he suffered. In fact, many years after his conversion, Paul was sitting down and was writing 
uh, a letter to the Corinthian church, the, the church there in the city of Corinth. And in this particular letter that we know as 2 Corinthians, he is defending his apostleship that had come under attack. And one way that he wanted to defend his apostleship is to share with them his numerous experiences with suffering. And he speaks there of being in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, which literally means I was beaten so many times with whips, I lost count of it. He said I was in prison more frequently. I read the other day day that in total, Paul probably spent anywhere from five and a half years to six years of his ministry in prison. In deaths often, From Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. And I want to pause there long enough to point out that that word peril there in the original Greek only shows up one other time in the entire New Testament. It means danger. They appear here in this text, but also in Romans chapter 8 and verse number 35, which many of you know says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or Sword, as it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And of course, he would go on later to say, I am persuaded that neither life nor death nor angels or principalities or things present or things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I only bring that up to point out to you that when Paul wrote that, he wasn't writing it just because he heard someone say that one day. He said, no, that's been my experience. You see, I have been whipped and I have been beaten and I have been stoned and I've been shipwrecked and I've been in all kinds of peril and through my experiences I can tell you that I am fully persuaded that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can you give him all the praise if you believe that? He went on to say, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst and fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concerns for all the churches. And so Paul went through his share of difficulties, and all of these things were told to him just 72 hours after his conversion experience so that when they began to take place, he would remember that these things were coming and that he was prepared for them. Can I just pause here long enough to say that I believe we do a great disservice to new believers when we refuse to tell them just how difficult it is going to be to follow Jesus Christ the rest of their days. Not that it's difficult to serve the Lord, that would be the easiest part, but the difficulty in that they are going to receive pushback from their family and from this world that they live in who wants nothing to do with the authentic Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. And I think that that is why, as Pastor Josh was talking today, I was thinking that is why people fall away because they get offended when difficult times coming. I think it would be much better for us to sit down with them and say, yes, God is going to be with you. He loves you, but you need to prepare yourself for difficult times because if you're going to live for Jesus Christ, the difficult days are coming in Jesus' name. It was just 11 years after he wrote those words in 2 Corinthians that somewhere between his early and mid-60s, the Apostle Paul would find himself sitting in a Roman prison on death row. He will not get out of jail this time. He's already been in jail once before this in Rome. 
He was released for a brief time and now he's back for a second imprisonment and this will be it for him. He's on death row. This is not a prison cell like we see on TV. This isn't like his own personal cell where there is a place to sleep and there's a place to wash up and bars that are there. No, this is just a round hole that is underneath the streets of Rome. It's 13 feet in diameter. It's round. It will accommodate between 30 and 35 inmates at a time. You might say, well, that's not very big. Well, overcrowding was never an issue in a Roman prison because literally when they got so filled, there was a door on the side of that cell that was connected to the public sewage system of Rome. And when they got filled up, they opened up the door, they flooded the cell with raw sewage, drowned the prisoners, and washed them away. It was then rinsed, and I'm sure they didn't rinse it well, and then the new prisoners were added day by day. This is where the Apostle Paul will spend the final months of his life. A man who preached the gospel more than anyone else and changed the world through the power of the Holy Spirit will spend his final days on earth in that hole. This information might be interesting for some of you, especially if, like me, you like history. For others of you, you're like, I've got to eat after I leave here this morning, Pastor Kurt. But for most of us, I would say that it would seem relatively irrelevant to our lives, especially when we live in the United States of America in 2019. And I would say it would be irrelevant had it not been for what Paul wrote in his final letter to his dear friend and son in the faith, Timothy, where he said in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. In the mind of the great Apostle Paul, a man who walked closer to the Lord than anyone else has ever walked to the Lord, In his mind, it was only natural to assume that if you were committed to living a godly life in Christ Jesus, you would suffer persecution. Not you might, but you will suffer persecution. And I would remind you again of the words that Jesus told not only his disciples in the upper room, but told all of his disciples throughout all of the ages that a servant is not greater than his master If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And so I have to wonder that in an age where the church seems to desire the acceptance of the world at any cost, even the cost of the unadulterated word of the living God, Jesus said that if we are committed to Him and to His word, that we will be hated in the nations and we will be persecuted. So perhaps the absence of any real persecution in the United States is the sad evidence that long ago the church abandoned the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe our lack of persecution is actually evidence that we pose zero threat to the kingdom of darkness in this last hour. Because I can tell you this, if we were all committed to godly living and we were sold out to the word of the living God, the enemy would be getting much busier than he is already. I love the way you're saying amen this morning. Paul, probably now weeks away from his execution, not months, weeks from his execution, is now ready to pass the baton of ministry to the next generation embodied in Timothy. He's ready to leave and he knows that he is now passing the baton of ministry over to Timothy. And the whole letter that we refer to as the book of 2 Timothy is given to provide the next generation and each uh, generation of believers after Timothy for principles for fighting the good fight of faith from one who had fought a good fight and was now ready to enter into the presence of Almighty God. And the reason that the Apostle Paul was compelled by the Spirit to write these things to Timothy 
And the reason that Jesus felt compelled by the Spirit to share these things with the disciples on the night that he was betrayed in the upper room, and the reason that they are recorded for us in the Bible so that we could sit here in 2019 and read them in Bethel Church is so that we would all know that difficult days lie ahead so that when these days begin to unfold, they will not become an occasion for us to be offended and stumble and even fall away from the faith. But to say in that hour, Jesus told us these days were coming and He gave us His Word to hide in our heart so that in that hour we would not sin against God, but we would finish strong in Jesus' mighty name. Can I hear a big amen on that this morning? Listen, folks, I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet. I just read the Word of God like you do. I do not know what tomorrow will hold. I do not know what is going to happen in the future in the United States of America. All I can tell you is that I read the Bible. All I can tell you is that every day I watch the news and listen to the headlines. And all I can tell you is that if God continues to delay His return, and should this nation continue in the direction that it already is going in, save the intervention of a mighty awakening of the Spirit that returns this nation to God, difficult days are coming for every one of us. I believe that we should pray for the best, but I believe that we need to prepare for the worst because there are days coming and most of us are not ready for what is about to happen. And we need to spend time in the Word of God preparing ourselves for these days so that when they come, we will not be offended but overcome in Jesus name and that's why this fall we are going to devote ourselves to a series of messages from the book again that is actually a letter known as 2nd Timothy many of you know that 2nd Timothy was the last letter that the Apostle Paul wrote and it was written to prepare Timothy for very difficult days that were coming once he, Paul, was gone. And this week I spent a lot of time just reading and rereading 2 Timothy. And I just felt like the Lord say, I know it's unusual for a Sunday morning, but I want you to take the book of 2 Timothy and I want you to go through it with my people. And that's what we're going to do. Now I'm not going to tell you that this is an intense verse-by-verse study of 2 Timothy. I, I don't believe that that is the direction we'll go in, but I don't know what God has for the future. But I do believe that at the very least there are some key principles in 2 Timothy that the Lord wants us to explore together to prepare us for the days ahead. In Jesus' name. Turn to your neighbor and tell them we're going to finish strong in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to open them with me to 2 Timothy chapter number 1. We're just going to look at a couple of verses here this morning in way of introduction. This is 2 Timothy chapter number 1 beginning with verse 1 and verse 2. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I was reading those opening words here this week, it seemed to me that Paul was reminding Timothy of four very powerful provisions that God had made for him and for Timothy and for all believers that Timothy would have to lean into if he were going to make it in the days that were coming. And it's these four provisions that I very quickly want to run through with you today. Because if we are going to make it in these last days, we are going to have to learn to lean into these provisions daily for the glory of God. First of all, if we are going to finish strong, we must know the purpose of God. We must know the purpose of God. Again, listen to how he begins this incredible letter. Verse 1, Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ 
by the will of God according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus. I don't know if you have ever noticed this as you read the various letters that Paul wrote, but there is a sense in which Paul truly understood his identity in Christ. Almost every letter that he wrote started with a similar greeting. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He knew who he was in Christ. He was an apostle. And he knew that it was a result of the will of God and not by anything that he had done. He had been called by God to be an apostle. And so everything he experienced on a daily basis was always to be taken within that identity and to never compromise it for the glory of God. He was also very quick to remind Timothy who he was because in verse number two, he says to Timothy, a beloved son, and though certainly he was alluding to the fact that Timothy was a son of God, more he was talking about the fact that he counted Timothy as a spiritual son and he was Timothy's spiritual father. He was saying that you are a beloved son. Later in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 5, he would expound upon that further. He would tell him to be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. He was saying to him, you are a pastor, but you do the work of an evangelist, and you need to be watchful in all things that you go through. Endure those afflictions so that you might fulfill the ministry that God has called you to. Because what he is saying here is that I realize as a man of God, this is Paul speaking, that what has enabled me throughout my journey to remain steadfast in the Lord was my identity in Christ and the purpose for which I was called. I refuse to allow my imprisonments and my false accusations and the temptations and the violent attacks and the malicious assaults of men to redefine my life. Every morning I would get up and say, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. And I cannot be deterred by what any man or any woman brings against me. I am an apostle by the will of God. And somehow I've got to finish this course for the glory and the honor of God. And Paul was absolutely convinced that if Timothy was going to survive in the days ahead, he had to possess a strong sense of identity. You're a pastor. You are the beloved son of God. And don't let any man get you off course or get you to be deterred from what you're called to do. You fulfill it in Jesus' name. And can I tell you that the body of Christ is suffering from an identity crisis today. We have forgotten that we are the children of Almighty God. We are pushed around every day. It's time to stand up and say, No greater is He that is in me than He that is in this world. In Jesus' name. Come on, you are the called of God. Say, Pastor, I'm not called of God. Only pastors and evangelists and apostles, they're the only ones that are called. No, 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 no. Your Bible makes it clear that all of us are the called of God Almighty. Remember what John said? He said, but as many as received Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, listen to this, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. What he's saying is your first birth may have been the result of the will of your mother and the will of your daddy, but I'm going to tell you your second birth came about by the will of Almighty God. Jesus said, you didn't choose me, I have chosen you and ordained you. You and I are the children of Almighty God. The Spirit of God bears witness that we are His children. You don't need to cower in this hour, you need to throw your shoulders back lift up your chin and say I am a man of God I am a woman of God and I am going to stand fast in Jesus mighty name I've always appreciated the moment that Jesus was baptized many of you know that when he was baptized he came out of the waters and when he came out of the waters the heavens were opened the Holy Spirit descended upon him when suddenly a voice the voice of the Father came from heaven and said listen to this this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased but no sooner had the Father identified Christ 
and set him apart by the Holy Spirit, then in Matthew 4, we are told that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. But listen to this. Now, when the tempter came to him, Jesus, he said, if you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Isn't it interesting that the very first attack of the enemy against Christ was against his identity? If you are the son of the living God, I'm going to tell you that the enemy will always attack your identity because he knows that if he can get you to forget that you are a child of God, then you will get off the mission that God has called you to in this hour. I wish I had time to preach to you today because I would tell you of how when Daniel Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego arrived in King Nebuchadnezzar's palace in Babylon as teenage boys, the very first thing that happened is their names were changed from God-honoring names to names that honored the gods of Babylon. I would tell you how he tried to change their appetite by giving them food that would have defiled them. I would tell you of how they tried to educate them in Babylonian theology because they wanted to change change their identity and make them into Babylonians. Students, I want you to listen to me today. I'm not against education, but I am against indoctrination. And we're sending our kids out to schools today not to be taught, but to be indoctrinated because students, they want to rename you, reclassify you, reorient you, and reassign you and make you into their image rather than the image of Jesus Christ. Come on, I'm preaching better than you're amen in today. Every single one of us are living in a world that wants to mess with the image you've been called to conform to. And that is the image of the Son, Jesus Christ. And the reason is because if He can change your identity, He can get you off mission. But I want to remind you what Peter said about you. You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. A holy nation. His own special people that you proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness to walk in His marvelous light. Don't bend in this hour. You're a child of God in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, somebody give God all the praise. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Bless His name today. Bless His name. If we're going to finish strong, we've got to know the power of God. We've got to know the power of God if we're going to finish strong. In 2 Timothy Chapter 1 and verse 2, he says so to Timothy, a beloved son, listen to these three, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. We're going to look at these next three. The power of God is grace. When we talk about grace, we're really talking about the power of God. You know, it, it's sad that in the church we use grace and mercy interchangeably. We'll use grace for mercy and mercy for grace. And that is unfortunate because even though there are similarities between the two, no one's arguing that, they are very distinct and very different as well. They represent two different works that God does in the lives of those who follow Him. Uh, The primary thought of grace is divine power, is divine influence. In fact, the word literally means God exerting His divine influence upon the heart of man, providing Him the strength that is necessary to carry out what He has commanded Him to do. We are saved by grace. Um, and, and being saved is more than being forgiven. Forgiveness is is uh, is brought about because of mercy that we'll talk about in a moment but salvation is through grace we are saved by grace and what that means is that for us to truly be saved from sin i need my heart to be transformed and man cannot transform my heart i can get a heart transplant but my real heart my will has to be 
changed or transformed by the power or the grace of God. And so when I repent of my sin and I'm truly broken over it, the Holy Spirit comes in and by grace divinely influences my heart and there is a transformation and the old has passed away and everything becomes brand new in Jesus' name. But every day of the believer is a walk of grace. I can't do what God has called me to do apart from His divine influence upon my heart. And Paul had come to recognize that what had carried him throughout his years of ministry and the persecution that came with it and the frustration that came with it and the falling away of friends and the abandonment of others and even the tormenting demonic attacks that he had received through the years was the grace of God. He was saying, Timothy, I want you to know that the reason I'm here today ready to meet the Lord is not because I'm a relatively strong man. It's because of the grace of God that has sustained me every step of the way. And he's saying, Timothy, you've got to know that grace as well. He says, Timothy, I have learned that where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 20. I believe that he's thinking back of things that he has read as he's writing these things. And he's saying to Timothy, Timothy, I remember a time early in my ministry where I started to struggle with pride and with arrogance because of all of the revelation that God was giving me, giving me more revelation than anyone had ever received before. And I struggled with my pride and my arrogance to the point where God said, I'm going to allow a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan, to come and buffet you and torment you. And he said, it was hard to deal with Timothy. In fact, one day I cried out, Lord, deliver me from this. And the next day I cried out, Lord, deliver me from this. And the next day I cried out, Lord, deliver me from this. When all of a sudden the father spoke and said, my grace is sufficient for you and my strength is made perfect in weakness. And so he said, therefore, Timothy, now I gladly boast in my infirmities and that the power of Christ Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecution and distresses that I experience for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He said, I know it's hard, son, but I'm going to tell you, don't you dare give up because when you're at the weakest, that's when God is at his strongest in your heart and in your life. Don't give up. And he says, you and I need to know that grace. So when you feel all alone and you feel incapable of carrying on, you remember His grace is sufficient for you and His strength is made perfect in your weakness. You can make it, not by your power, but by the power of Almighty God. Come on, give Him all the praise if you believe that this morning. Thirdly, if you're going to finish strong, you need to know the pardon of God. You need to know the pardon of God and this is mercy. You know, you may, you may think it almost strange, but if you're going to finish strong, you have to be convinced that even when you fail, there's pardon for you in Jesus' name. If grace is what I need to live an overcoming life, then mercy is what I need when I fall short of it. And be advised, turn to your neighbor and tell him, be advised, you will fall short. You're going to fall short. Paul even admitted his own struggles, the own immature decisions that he had made. And and he learned that part of finishing strong was the willingness in failure to not only confess but to repent of sin, knowing that we serve a loving, kind Father who always prefers to show mercy rather than judgment. Be assured again, you will stumble, you will fall, you will fail. But let it also be known that if we confess our sins, He will be faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness in Jesus' mighty name. (laughs) In that same upper room, many of you remember Timothy, or excuse me, too many names here today. Um, Jesus tells all of the disciples that they are going to uh, walk away from him and forsake him. And Peter, 
you know, you got to love Peter. Peter says, Jesus, I'll never deny you. Even if I have to die for you, I will not deny you. And Jesus is very quick to say to him, Simon, Simon. Indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But when the sifting's over, would you please remember that I've been praying for you. That your faith should not fail. And when you've returned, strengthen your brethren. I love those words. Because basically what Jesus is saying to him is, Peter, I know your intentions are all well and good. But you know what? You are self-reliant. You are self-righteous, Peter. You make these bold confessions and your intentions are good, but you're still leaning on your own strength. And unfortunately, the only way you're ever going to see that you're in your own strength is for me to let you fall. And it just so happens that Satan has asked for you to sift you like wheat and we've given him permission because it's only going to be in your failure you're going to see that it's only in my power you can overcome. But he said, you need to know something, Peter. I've been praying for you that your faith would not fail. I love that. He says, I'm not praying that you would not fail because you need to fail to be reminded you can't do it without me. But I'm praying that your faith would not fail. How many of you know you can fail and still not have your faith fail? Where your faith and your confidence remain strong in the Lord. And that's what he's saying. I'm praying that even in your failure, your faith in me will not fail. And that when you return, I love that, when you return, you're going to strengthen your brethren. Folks, I'm going to tell you, we are going to stumble and we are going to fall. But the grace of God is there to give us mercy even when we fall so that when we return, we can gather around one another and we can walk them through restoration in Jesus' mighty name. How many of you are glad that we serve a merciful Father even when we stumble and fall? I love Isaiah 55 and verse 7. I just loved this through the years, but recently it's been brought back to my heart. Let the wicked forsake his way. Let the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. And then finally, if we are going to finish strong, we must know the peace of God. If you are going to finish strong, you have to know how to rest in the Lord. We talked about the rest of the Lord last week. You're going to have to know the peace of God in your life. Now remember, and I've said this for many years, context is everything. Context is everything. And I say that because if Paul were writing these things in an ideal situation, if he was writing these things from his home office, if he were writing these things in his shorefront property, if he were writing these things from his favorite Starbucks in Rome, they would have been true, but they wouldn't be carrying the same punch that they do when you consider that he is writing this in prison. That he is writing these sitting in raw sewage. That he is writing these things surrounded by vile criminals and worse conditions. He's writing these things knowing that he's moving steadily toward his execution. Where he as a Roman will have his head cut from his body. All because he lifts up the name of Jesus Christ. And yet as you read 2 Timothy, you see no fear in his life. There is no sense of regret. There is an anticipation. There is almost a celebrative tone when he gets to the end because he's going to see his Savior face to face. Now I don't know if I can speak for everyone here today. I only speak for myself. But as I contemplated that this weekend, I thought, Lord, I don't know if I could write about your peace 
in those conditions. Anybody else with me? And if you think you could, just come and see me in my office after this. Because I don't think it would take me long to uncover the hypocrisy of that statement. Because most of you lose the faith when you get a hangnail. I mean, come on. We whine and complain about everything. And yet Paul is in that condition writing to him about the peace of God. And that's why Paul called it the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. You know what that means? I looked it up this week. What he means there is that the peace of God is is so superior to the intelligence of man that the intelligence of man cannot explain it. It it is a peace that is so superior to the human intellect that man cannot even begin to grasp or to understand it. And it is so superior, he says, that it will guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the peace of God that sustains us every day. I love how the Amplified draws this out. It literally means um, freedom from agitating passions and moral conflict. That's what it literally means. It means a peace that, that literally frees us from agitating passions and emotional responses and all of the conflict that we experience while we're going through this life and are being tested. And it passes all understanding. But listen to what he says. It guards your heart, which you know is your will, and it guards your mind, which is your intellect and your way of thinking. Now, he doesn't say anything about your emotions. He says it will guard the seat of all of your choices and all of your decisions, but the peace of God doesn't change the way you feel about some things. I'm sure if we had an opportunity this morning to interview the Apostle Paul, he would not have told us, I didn't feel anything. I'm sure that he had his range of emotions while he was sitting in that prison cell. He says, I can't do anything about what you feel and what you are experiencing and your emotional response to that. In fact, next week or the week after next, we're going to talk about how Timothy was paralyzed with fear at this moment. Fear to the point where he was ready to give up on his calling and just walk away from it altogether. And what he is saying to him is, listen, Timothy, I can't change the way you feel, but I can tell you that there is a peace that comes from Almighty God that will guard your heart and mind and free you from making an emotional decision so that you can do the right thing even in the midst of the most difficult circumstance in Jesus' name. And that's the peace of God that we want. It's not going to change what you feel. The peace of God doesn't mean that I'm not going to grieve when I lose a loved one. The peace of God doesn't mean that I'm not going to be broken hearted when someone turns against me and abandons me. But what it does do is it frees me from making an emotional decision and wrecking my life and it keeps me grounded that says, I don't know how, but God is going to bring me through this in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, give God the praise. The peace of God may not do anything about how I feel, but I don't have to be a prisoner to my feeling. I can wait upon the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that invaded the tomb Resurrection Sunday and brought Christ back from the dead. If He can do that, then He can invade my pain. He can invade my sickness. He can invade my abandonment and my hurt. And He can raise me up and not only give me peace, but give me a hope that sustains me through it all. In Jesus' mighty name. Can somebody give God all the praise in this house for it? Come on. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I love, and I'm going to close with this. In fact, musicians, you can come. Philippians 4. I love the book of Philippians. I love the whole Bible. (laughs) Isn't it funny? We as preachers say that. I love this. Well, I love it all, but I love what he says to the Philippians. Remember, he was in jail then too. A little better condition, but he was still in prison. 
And he wrote to them these words. And this is how it reads in the Amplified. Not that I speak from any personal need. For I have learned to be content and self-sufficient through Christ. Satisfied to the point where I am not disturbed or uneasy regardless of my circumstances. I know how to get along and live humbly in difficult times. And I also know how to enjoy abundance and live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing life. How many of you want to learn the secret of facing life? Here it is. Whether well-fed or going hungry, whether having abundance or being in need, I can do all things which He has called me to do through Him who strengthens and empowers me to fulfill His purpose. I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. I am ready for anything and equal to anything through Him who infuses me with inner strength and confident peace. Wow. Let that be our anthem every day. I can do all things. All things through Christ. I can walk through anything in my life. And it may not change what I feel. I may be upset. I may be afraid. But I'm not going to act on my emotions. I know whom I have believed in. And I'm persuaded that he is able. Wednesday night, I finished with an old song of the church. He's all I need. And everything I have need of, his hand has provided. And that's why Jesus said to us, don't seek after all those other things. Seek first the kingdom of God and righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you in Jesus' mighty name. We're going to finish strong, church, in Jesus' name. Bless God. Yeah, give him all the praise in this house. Bless God. Let's stand all across this auditorium today. Come on. I want you this Sunday morning to lift up your hands to your Savior and to your Lord and thank him that all you have need of, his hand has provided in Jesus' name. Would you do that? Just thank him for his goodness for his mercy that endures forever.